Welcome to Role Playing History, the podcast where we explore the history of role playing games. I'm Wayne Davis, and I'll be your guide for today's tour. Episode 38 R.A. Salvatore, Ed Greenwood, Larry Elmore, and Jeff Easley. Wow. Bunch of names on that intro, and I'm sure you're surprised by that, especially since I only announced R.A. Salvatore and Ed Greenwood for this week's episode. So, what gives? Well, in doing research for this episode, I was finding that R.A. Salvatore and Ed Greenwood don't really talk a lot about their personal lives in interviews or panels, and most of what they talk about is the nature of what they've written about, how they feel about it, some of the background about how they were recruited into or talked into writing, those kinds of things. And while that's all very important to us in compiling a podcast about the history of role-playing games, when you take everything I was able to dig up and put it all together, it makes for a pretty darn short show. So I decided to include two more creative geniuses in Larry Elmore and Jeff Easley, who did a ton of artwork for D&D games over the years. Trust me, this is going to be one very talent-filled episode. And we begin the tour with a look at R.A. Salvatore. Born Robert Anthony Salvatore on January 20th, 1959 in Leominster, Massachusetts, R.A. was the youngest of seven. He gives credit to his school English teacher for inspiring him and helping him develop into a writer. While he wrote a lot when he was younger, his interest in fantasy writing was fueled when he went to college at Fitchburg State College in Fitchburg, Massachusetts. While he was there, he was gifted a copy of Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings for Christmas, and he stated that reading that series really kickstarted his interest in writing fantasy, along with other types of literature. He was so inspired, in fact, that he changed his major from computer science to journalism, earning a Bachelor of Science degree in communications and media from Fitchburg in 1981. He later followed that with a Bachelor of Arts in English. By the way, R.A.'s letters, manuscripts, and other papers were donated to the R.A. Salvatore Collection at Fitchburg State College in the fall of 1997 and are still a part of that collection there today. So, having graduated college but not yet begun his career as a writer, R.A. took on an interesting job. He worked as a bouncer. And believe it or not, he's found a way to work his experiences as a bouncer into his writing over the years. In multiple interviews, R.A. has stated that his battle scenes, which are quite detailed and wild, can be credited to a large extent to his experiences as a bouncer. So that means R.A. Salvatore was Dalton from Roadhouse. Right on. In 1982, R.A. got serious about making writing his career. He began to develop a manuscript he called Echoes of the Fourth Magic. He even created his own setting for it called Yinis Ayeli. And I know I screwed up the pronunciation. Sorry about that. Even cooler, he's admitted over the years to writing the book in longhand by candlelight. For the record, Echoes of the Fourth Magic, which would later be known as the first book in the Chronicles of Yinis Ayeli, was completed in 1987, though it wasn't published until 1990. But backing up to 1987, R.A. told the comic book website Project Fanboy that when he'd finished the novel, he began shipping it to publishers. One of the publishers he sent it to was TSR. Now, if you'll remember back a few weeks to our first episode on the Forgotten Realms, 1987 was the year TSR decided to start publishing novels based on their then-new campaign setting. When they read R.A.'s novel, they asked him to audition for the job on the second novel. 
Needless to say, they were impressed with his work, and he got the job. And as I reported in that episode, that job changed the trajectory of his writing career. The Crystal Shard was the first Forgotten Realms novel R.A. Salvatore wrote for TSR, but as we all know, it would not be his last. In fact, as of the recording of this episode, R.A. has written or co-written 45 books set in the Forgotten Realms, and he oversaw the production of the six-book War of the Spider Queen series that came out between 2002 and 2005. For the record, his most recent novel in the line, The Way of the Drow, was released on August 3rd, 2021. Going back to the Crystal Shard, it had two other firsts associated with it. It was the first novel with the character he consistently names as one of his favorites to write, the drow Drizzt Daurden, and was the first novel he had with cover artwork by Larry Elmore, who we'll be talking about a little later on in the show. Drizzt would continue to appear in 37 of the 45 Forgotten Realms books R.A. wrote, and people who haven't read the books often wonder what the fascination is with the drow. R.A. has discussed this frequently over the years, and here's what I think it boils down to. Drizzt isn't like the other drow, or at least how they had traditionally been portrayed before Wizards of the Coast's recent movement to remove alignment as a consistent trait for races in the game. You see, drow had traditionally been presented as evil. Therefore, if your adventuring party ran into a group of drow during their adventure, it was pretty much always going to end in a fight. Drizzt was different in that he rejected the beliefs of the rest of his race. He even went so far as to leave the Underdark, which is the traditional home and setting for Drow, to go live and adventure on the surface. And for a Drow, that was a big deal, as Drow also traditionally have a major sunlight sensitivity, which can impact them in a number of situations. So, Drizzt was a character who was working hard to be better than those that he came from. He worked to help others and was always written and portrayed as a hero albeit frequently a reluctant one. That's why Drizzt is such a beloved character, and that's why R.A. Salvatore loves writing for him so much, in my opinion. Getting back into R.A.'s timeline, he published his first hardcover novel for TSR, and in fact the first hardcover novel TSR ever published, in 1992. That title was The Legacy, and as you might have guessed, Drizzt is again a major part of it. Four years later, R.A. published Passage to Dawn. It was, again, a big seller for TSR, but I mention it here not because it was a big seller. I mention it here because TSR, in its infinite wisdom, decided that after the release of Passage of Dawn that they wanted somebody new to write books about Drizzt. So they thanked R.A. for his time and began the search for a new author for Drizzt Books. Chalk up yet another notch on the column of horrible business decisions for TSR. The novel, The Shores of Dusk, was actually completed by author Mark Anthony. However, by the time that novel was done, Wizards of the Coast had acquired TSR, and they decided that Drizzt's story was best told by R.A. Salvatore, and they convinced him to come back into the fold. R.A. got right back to it, releasing The Silent Blade in 1998. Now, for the record, The Shores of Dusk has never been officially released, though Mark Anthony has talked about it at length over the years, and I believe portions of that novel are available to read online if you're willing to do a little bit of digging. Now, as I mentioned, R.A. has continued writing in the Forgotten Realms to this day. However, it's not the only high-profile setting he's played in. In 1999, he was given the task of writing the first novel in the Star Wars The New Jedi Order series. His book, Vector Prime, stirred up a bit of controversy among Star Wars fans because in it, 
Chewbacca dies. Vector Prime was the first time that a major character from the original trilogy had been permanently killed off, and it pissed off a lot of people. Over the years, however, it's come out that killing off the Wookiee wasn't R.A.'s idea. He's explained in several interviews, and Lucasfilm has confirmed that the order to kill Chewbacca came from them through Randy Stradley, who was at the time the editor at Dark Horse Comics, who were handling the Star Wars comic books. Once the prequel trilogy began, R.A. got another Star Wars writing gig. He wrote the film novelization for Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, in 2002. Now, we'll talk about some of the other writings he's done in a minute, but this is the point in R.A.'s timeline that we need to discuss the other big thing he's been involved in, writing for video games. R.A. wrote the story for the game Forgotten Realms Demon Stone, which was released on PS2, Xbox, and PC in 2004. He's also edited books written about the online EverQuest game, as well as writing bot chat lines for the Quake 3 bots. R.A. was later hired to be the creative director for a new game developer, 38 Studios. He wrote dialogue for and created a backstory to help build up the fantasy game Kingdoms of Amalur, Reckoning. That game was released by 38 Studios in 2012 and sold over a million units. However, about three months after the game's release, the studio declared bankruptcy and everyone was laid off, including R.A., in fact, he never got paid the $2 million fee for his services by the company, though he continues to state in interview after interview that he harbors no ill will towards the company or Kurt Schilling, who was the company's founder and owner. He's even stated that suing Kurt for the money would be, quote, kicking him in the head, end quote, so he's not going to do it. On that one, I have to admit he's a better man than I am because I'd want my money. But that's why he is who he is and I am who I am. R.A. has even lent his talents to the comic book world. In 2008, Devil's Due Publishing released Spooks, which is a book about a U.S. government anti-paranormal investigation task force. R.A. created all of the monster details for the line, while Larry Hama created the military characters and handled plot creation. So as we come to the end of our discussion of R.A. Salvatore, we need to take a look at the other series of books he's written over the years. He's written the Corona line of books, which has four separate series, totaling 14 books and publishing between 1997 and 2020. He's also written the Spearwilder's Tale, Chronicles of Ianis Ayele, Crimson Shadow series, and a Tarzan novel, Tarzan the Epic Adventures. He's also written dozens of short stories over the years that have appeared in numerous other publications. R.A. Salvatore, therefore, has earned his reputation as a great writer, and the proof is in his output over the past 30-plus years. Next up, let's take a look at Ed Greenwood. Born in Canada on July 21, 1959, Ed grew up in the Toronto suburb of Don Mills. Now, as I mentioned in the first Forgotten Realms episode, Ed began writing stories about the Forgotten Realms when he was a child, starting in the mid-1960s. He's admitted in interviews since that the realms were a dream space for swords and sorcery stories. We also discussed in that first Realms episode that Ed conceived of the Forgotten Realms as one world in a multiverse of parallel worlds, which include the Earth, and he imagined them as being the source of humanity's myths and legends. Since I spent the time discussing Ed's discovering of D&D in the mid-1970s and his adaptation of the realms to D&D during the Forgotten Realms episode, I'm not going to rehash that here. Check out that episode in the archives for all of that juicy goodness. 
What does need to be mentioned here is that Ed has never left his ties to the Forgotten Realms. Each time the setting is adapted to a new version of the game, Ed's the guy who gets the call to do it. And he stated on more than one occasion that he's both proud and honored to continue to have the opportunity to do so. And he's kept an active role in the production of novels based in the realms as well. Ed's the creative genius behind Elminster, who's the wise wizard, among other classes, if 3rd edition D&D is to be believed, behind a number of the reference books for the realms. Elminster is featured in several of Ed's novels, and he's written 28 novels in all over the years based in the Forgotten Realms. He's also had a hand in nine more anthologies that have been set in the realms. But it needs to be noted, Ed Greenwood isn't just the Forgotten Realms. He's written 18 novels with a fantasy setting that aren't set in the realms, or in any D&D setting for the most part. If that wasn't enough, he's contributed to 46 fantasy fiction anthologies, and he's edited three others. He's also done work on five video games, including four that are based on the Forgotten Realms. In addition to creating the Forgotten Realms, he's also had his Castlemorn setting published by Margaret Weiss Productions, and is the co-creator of the Mornmist fantasy setting, along with fantasy novelist Lynn Abbey. Ed's also had more than 200 articles published in Dragon Magazine and Polyhedron Newszine. Over the years, Ed's been a lifetime charter member of the RPGA Network and has been the guest of honor at Gen Con on more than one occasion. And he's still producing. If you head over to the Wizards of the Coast website, you'll probably find one of his regular Realms lore columns there. He still writes those up and posts them from time to time. Ed also makes it a point to travel to as many conventions as he can each year, though COVID has slowed that down over the past few years for all of us, not just Ed. When he's not doing that, he's content to live on Lake Ontario in an old farmhouse and continue to run his original Waterdeep campaign with most of the same core group he started with all those years ago. However, all reports indicate they don't get to meet as often as they once did, and I can certainly understand that. And if you didn't love him enough already, he also works as a library clerk and occasional librarian at his local library. Ed Greenwood is literary all the way to his core. He was inducted into the Gamer's Choice Hall of Fame in 1992 and the Academy of Adventure Gaming's Hall of Fame in 2003. I know in today's culture we throw words like legend around willy-nilly, but in Ed's case, the term applies. So let's switch from writers to illustrators. Larry Elmore was born on August 5, 1948, in Louisville, Kentucky. He spent his formative years in Grayson County, which is in Midwestern Kentucky. He once said that, quote, the rural school I attended didn't have any art program, so I spent my time drawing and daydreaming, end quote. He admits he wasn't a very good student, and that was due to the fact that he would draw in class instead of listening to the teachers. He also once joked that, quote, I wish I had a quarter for every drawing of mine a teacher destroyed, end quote. His grades were good enough to get him into college, though, and he majored in art at Western Kentucky University. About a month after he graduated, he was drafted into the U.S. Army and stationed in Germany. His affiliation with the U.S. government lasted even after he left the service as he took a job illustrating for the government out of the Fort Knox Training Aids Department, which allowed him to return and live in his native Kentucky. Three years after that, Larry became a freelancer. If you're curious, you can check 1970s issues of National Lampoon and Heavy Metal magazines for some of his artwork, as they paid him for some of his work. 
That work led to the job we know him best for. A friend of Larry's, who was also a government illustrator, introduced him to Dungeons and Dragons during Larry's freelancing period. That introduction led to his interest in the game, and that led him to apply for a job at TSR. And that's how Larry Elmore became the first professional illustrator hired full-time by TSR in November of 1981. His artwork appeared everywhere in D&D. Adventure modules, game books, covers of novels. Larry even did paintings that were made into posters and calendars. Larry wasn't content to just draw and paint, though. He also created the Snarf Quest comic, which appeared in the pages of Dragon Magazine during his time there. He's also responsible for helping sell the Dragonlance setting to executives at TSR. It was Larry's job to develop the artwork for the early stages of the project, and he did a number of the early sketches as well. As we all know, Dragonlance was a success for TSR, and Larry's first Dragonlance cover was Dragons of Autumn Twilight, which released in 1984. British game designer Graham Davis has stated that Larry, quote, should get some kind of award for drawing so many dragons and making them all different, end quote. Now, what's funny to me is that Larry's artwork is iconic in the D&D world, but it shocked me in my research to find out he only worked for TSR for six years. That's right, he left the company in 1987. But a whole new group of gamers would come to know his artwork in another forum. You see, Larry has illustrated a number of cards for Magic the Gathering, which is an exceptionally well-selling collectible card game, in case you weren't aware. He also did the cover art for the MMORPG EverQuest. He wrote a novel, Runes of Autumn, in 1996, and also did the majority of the black-and-white artwork for Mark Miller's role-playing game Traveler, which came out that same year. Also in the late 1990s, Larry teamed up with Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman, whom he'd worked with before on Dragonlance. They used his fantasy world, Lorem, in their Sovereign Stone trilogy of novels. In the early 2000s, Larry moved on to drawing SnarfQuest comics for the short-lived magazine Games Unplugged. Larry also provided the artwork for the fantasy world in the Sovereign Stone game system. By 2006, Larry had been busting his tail for the better part of 30 years and decided to stop working as hard as he had been. At that time, he decided to change back to contract-only work. He did an interview shortly after where he explained the reason for the change. A friend of mine, Keith Parkinson, who also worked at TSR, died of leukemia three years ago. We shared a studio, and we were always talking about when we hit 50, we'd be doing our own thing. He didn't make it, and I was 57 and still pulling all-nighters. I was tired of it. I was tired of paying dues. Larry's work hasn't stopped showing up all over the place, however. It's appeared in the book Masters of Dragonlance Art, as it should, based on his importance in Dragonlance even getting a shot in the first place. He also released a book of artwork called 20 Years of Elmore in 2005. In 2013, Larry started a Kickstarter to fund a 336-page hardcover book of his artwork from throughout his then 40-year career. Needless to say, it was fully funded, and the book was published. I was unable to find a copy to review, but as I've seen a ton of his artwork over the years, I can safely say if you can find a copy of the book, pay whatever they're asking to get it. Larry Elmore has been described over the years as a legend in the fantasy and gaming communities. And much like Ed Greenwood, that term is appropriate, especially considering the fact that when you think of the iconic illustrations in D&D from the 1980s, it was either his or the last guy on our show today. And that guy is Jeff Easley. Jeff was born in Nicholasville, Kentucky in 1954. 
As a child, he spent a lot of time drawing, with his primary focus being on creatures like ghosts and other monsters. He once said in an interview, I watched lots of monster movies on The Late Show and built every monster kit I could get my hands on. He attended high school in Nicholasville, then earned himself a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree in painting from Murray State University in Kentucky. Jeff married his wife Cynthia sometime during this period, and once she'd finished her grad school studies, the couple moved to Massachusetts along with some friends. Once there, Jeff began his career as a professional artist. He's commented on this period in multiple interviews, saying, I did freelance work for Warren Publications, including covers and comic strips for Creepy, Eerie, and Vampirella, and for Marvel Comics magazines, including covers for Savage Sword of Conan and Bizarre Adventures. But my real income came from my job at the Okie Doke Popcorn Company. It was also during this time that Jeff made a connection that would change his career arc when a mutual friend introduced him to Larry Elmore. Jeff said later that, When I heard Larry was planning to leave Fort Knox to join TSR, I got in touch with him and discovered that there might be other job opportunities there. He applied for a job with TSR and found himself hired. He started in March of 1982 and said the following about his first task for the company. My first project was to paint gemstones on the spines of the first four Endless Quest books, but it was definitely uphill from there. Jeff's first role-playing game piece for TSR was Lost Caverns of Sonjanth. I think I got that pronounced right, which was released in 1982. Jeff did interior art for the adventure module, which had been written by Gary Gygax. Jeff easily went on to do a ton of artwork for D&D and AD&D. In fact, even casual gamers will recognize some of the book covers he did. The AD&D Player's Handbook, The Dungeon Master's Guide, Tome of Magic, The Monstrous Manual, and over a dozen Monstrous Compendium supplements. On top of that, he did the art for several editions of the basic D&D box. He also did the first editions of the Monster Manual, Monster Manual 2, Legends and Lore, Unearthed Arcana, Oriental Adventures, and the Dungeoneer Survival Guide. Second edition? He did that too. Player's Handbook, Dungeon Master's Guide, Monstrous Manual, along with a whole lot of modules for second edition. And it should be noted, not only did he do those iconic covers, he also had a number of illustrations inside the books as well. He also did the cover for the first edition of Battle System, the revised edition of Gamma World, a number of Endless Quest books, and a Dragonlance calendar cover. One of the pieces he's most known for, called Red Dragon, appeared on the AD&D Monster Manual cover from 1983 to 1989. It's also been sold as an art piece over the years, and I know of a number of people who have the print framed and hanging on their walls. Trust me, you have seen this piece before. Once Wizards of the Coast acquired TSR, Jeff moved over to Magic the Gathering, doing illustrations for 49 cards in the sets from Mercadian Mosques through Eventide. Jeff's continued to freelance over the years and designed gold and ivory inlays for deluxe limited edition guitars over the years. He also provided the artwork for Italian power metal band Rhapsody of Fire's 2000 album Triumph or Agony. Jeff continues to illustrate and makes regular appearances at conventions around the world. Convention appearances, by the way, are something that can be said are true for all four of today's subjects. They've all stated during various interviews over the years that they consider themselves to be honored and blessed by the fact that fans still find themselves inspired by the work they've done over the years. And they've all sworn they will continue to attend conventions for as long as they physically can and for as long as conventions will still have them. 
So you might be asking why I chose to talk about all four of these guys in one episode. I mean, their contributions to D&D were, for the most part, over 30 years ago. Why, why bring them back up now? Look, for me, the 80s were when I really discovered D&D. And Ed Greenwood, Larry Elmore, and Jeff Easley provided a ton of the inspiration for me to game. I found R.A. Salvatore a bit later, when I started getting more into reading the novels as well, but still, that's 30 years ago. For me, these guys are a rich and important part of the history of the game, as well as a treasured part of my childhood as a gamer. And I know there's a ton of other gamers who feel the exact same way I do. Plus, as a history nerd, I recognize the importance of understanding our history so that we can learn from our mistakes and from the greatness that our actions sometimes produce. And in the case of these four, there's a whole lot of greatness there. And with that, we come to the end of today's tour. Okay, so this was the last of the three episodes I bulk recorded a couple weeks ago. Next week, I'm going to finally pay off your patience with the diversity episode I promised at the end of January. I'm confident that over the past three weeks, I've gotten the research I need. And come hell or high water, we're going to support those who get marginalized way too often. I know I say this every week, but I say it because I mean it. Thank you for continuing to support this show. I realize that some of our episodes are more important to you than others, but you keep listening to all of them, and that means a little something to me. Plus, during a time that things in my life are a bit chaotic, it's nice to have the show to help give me something I can retreat into as a distraction, and your support allows me to do that. So, again, thank you. The music we use for the show comes from pixabay.com. Check them out if you need royalty-free music for your project. As always, you can hit us up on Facebook, Roleplaying History Podcast, Twitter, at RolePlayingP, YouTube, our channel is Roleplaying History Podcast, you know by now what to do when you get there. You can always email us, RolePlayingHistoryPodcast at gmail.com. Okay, next week I'm going to finally pay off your patience with our diversity episode, so don't you dare miss that. That's next week, though. And until then, I'm Wayne Davis, and you're Roleplaying History.